0: Welcome to the Practical Futurist podcast, a bi-weekly show all about the near-term future with practical advice from a range of global experts to help you stay ahead of the curve. Every episode answers the question, what's the future of? With voices and opinions that need to be heard. Your host is international keynote speaker and practical futurist,
1: Andrew Grill. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 7, Lockdown Edition of the Practical Futurist Podcast. Today's guest is Dan Ziv, who is the CEO of TouchNote, a digital company that is providing a creative way for personal communication, which I think we'd all agree is needed even more during this very challenging 2020. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the show.
2: Hi, Andrew. Thanks for having me.
1: So you're in the UK like me. How are you and your family dealing with the changes we've all had to make?
2: I think this has been quite a shock and a change in behavior for everyone uh, on the the personal level and on the business level. Um, Thankfully, my family is fine and we're all healthy, staying safe, staying well at home, enjoying some quality time together and uh, learning, you know, the ins and outs of homeschooling for my seven-year-old. I'd never thought I'd be a math teacher and I never thought I'd do that every single day. And, you know, that's an experience as well.
1: How are your teams dealing with the changes and, and when did you send people home? So we were actually quite early at uh, sending people to work from home I think we sent people home a week before
2: the official date and what we did is we said I know some people went uh, through a testing phase where they tried this out what we decided to do is actually make it voluntary and we said you know what for people who feel uncomfortable coming into work um, we are happy for you to work from home very quickly we found that 60 to 70 percent of our um, Our employees prefer to work from home because of the commute and taking the tube to work and so on. I think it's quite interesting also to consider that out of the 50 people in our company, we have 18 nationalities. Uh, We are in three continents. So we have really seen how this pandemic has impacted people back home as well. We have uh, three Italians in the company. And obviously, when they heard everything going on at home, they were very much concerned about what would happen when it comes uh, to the UK. So um, we, we could perhaps allow people to also respond as they saw fit according to what they were seeing on their local news back home and so on.
1: It's a really smart move and the whole notion of people not wanting to travel into the office. I'm going to cover that in a minute because uh, I think we're going to have people realizing that while home isn't the best place to work, they don't always want to do that commute. Um, So I want to cover a couple of areas. Obviously, you're a digital and a physical business and I'll ask you about your business in a second. But so I want to talk about how companies that are listening to the podcast who have a physical and digital presence are preparing. As you know, I do a lot of talks about disruption, and I think disruption is a great opportunity for change. So I want to talk about how you might be thinking about doing things differently once the restrictions are listed. But first of all, for our listeners, you've got a really nice business. What is it and what do you do?
2: So, TouchNote is a creative platform for personal communication, and what that means is that we allow through our apps and our website to send physical cards and other uh, photo gifts straight from your phone using your own photos. So, the launch of uh, the traffic that we see is people, we like to say, Instagramming in real life, but through a physical presence. So, you can imagine yourself taking a picture of you walking your dog, uh, on the one time a day you can leave the house nowadays, or... um, uh, maybe having a, a good time with the kids in the house. You take a picture. And then, to, in today's world, there's one thing that social media has really um, taught all of us: it is to share photos, whether it's on Facebook, on Instagram, or other places. Another way to share photos is also in a more authentic and real and tangible way. And that's where TouchNote comes in. Where, you know, if you think about grandparents, nieces, nephews, and just other people who might not be as active on social media, there is a huge, huge, huge audience for your own content as in physical form. And that's what we try to facilitate.
1: So you're a physical and a digital company. And I really like the idea because even some of my close friends are not on Instagram. So I talk about photos I've taken. They say, we haven't seen it. And my parents back in Australia clearly aren't on Instagram. Uh, So I think it's a really interesting way of, of sharing those moments. So have you seen any changes in consumer behavior? Are they taking and sending more photos during this time? What's changed for you?
2: The interesting thing is that with companies like us, it's about education, right? And we want to go to to our audience or to potential customers and say, listen, just as you use Instagram or Facebook or WhatsApp or email to send photos, here's another way which is more tangible, it is more real, it is more meaningful, and this is something you want to add to your digital diet or to your communication diet. What happened during the uh, COVID-19 crisis is that this thing essentially was turned over on its head. And today, people are all locked down and they're all at home and they can't visit or see or communicate with their loved ones in the way that they might want to. So they are uh, actively looking for more meaningful ways to communicate, especially with the elderly that are more vulnerable during this time. So the education piece kind of went away and now our customers Flocking in, saying, "Listen, this is something that we really think we need right now." So it's, it's it's a privilege to be able to offer this service at this time, as a alternative for people uh, who are looking for a more meaningful, a tangible
1: way to communicate. I can't remember the last time I've received a physical postcard because we 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 have we default to doing it digitally but in the same way i can't remember the last time someone wrote me a handwritten note and if they did i think i would really be quite surprised and i would actually probably notice that more so i think probably now to get a a postcard through the letterbox would be a a lovely surprise from someone but as a digital business i mean you're you are ready for this because you have you know the digital processes and and you obviously have physical uh, way that you have to distribute things but what are you thinking about now? So let's assume that we're you're homeschooling for another month or so, what's crossing your mind in terms of how you might change your business with what you know has happened going forward? And and, and I don't want any secret sauce about your business plans, but I'm thinking again, everyone's at home now thinking when the shutters roll up, it, it won't be we're rushing back to work and, and the pubs and the clubs and restaurants will fill up. There will be a gradual thing. So what can we do to think about the changes that we can implement now in our business for later in the year?
2: So first of all, I'd say, Andrew, that if you haven't received your postcard through the letterbox yet, it is my job to make sure that happens. And after this uh, discussion, I promise you, you're going to get your first postcard for a long time. Uh, and The other thing I would say is that um, I, I think the way that a business like ours, which is, again, a small business, is looking at this pandemic and this crisis and this time, is really in two stages. There's everything that's happening during the actual lockdown and the, you know, the peak and the post-peak of, of the pandemic, and then there's everything that would happen once people go back to a, a a version of normality. And right now, we are very much concerned with the absolute change in the behavior of customers. So it's so interesting because, as I said before, we were we are constantly trying to teach and educate people about. New behaviors, right? Every app or every business is trying to get adoption. Well, what's happened is that people's um, behavior has fundamentally changed. They are at home with the kids, they're not going out as much, they're not going to the pub, they're not going into work. So everything has turned on its head. And uh, things that you have never done before, suddenly you do every day and vice versa. Things that you've done every single day, like commute to work, suddenly you don't need that, I don't know, um, commuter app that optimizes your commute. So that has, that focus is very much where we are um, putting all of our eggs right now to say, okay, what has changed in our customers' behavior and how can we mean more, prove ourselves more and be there for the customers during this time? So for us, uh, COVID-19 is an opportunity to be able to talk about why people should have uh, an app like TouchNot on their phone. now, as you rightfully said, this is not going away, unfortunately, anytime soon. Over the next, we, we initially we thought you know a three-week lockdown and so on. I think everyone is coming to the realization that even after the lockdown, there's going to be a gradual return to a normality. So, are we, over this time, what we want to make sure is that people establish this as a behavior, and they don't go back to the old ways of saying you know what I can send this uh, picture on uh, on um, WhatsApp, or I can uh, or I can send it on social media, and I'm done with it. No. The fact that they are now thinking more about uh, their loved ones, especially the elderly in their family, is, I think, some is increasing the aggregate happiness and meaning and perhaps even connection between families. And if we can facilitate a little bit of that and then continue that as a behavior, I think we would come out stronger out of this pandemic. Now, from a business perspective, which I know your listeners are very interested in and of course you talk about a lot as well, the disruption here. Has actually happened from the other way around. It is the customer base and the behavior that has been disrupted due to all of these restrictions. So the company must adapt to that. Now following this disruption there's going to be uh, a, a widely discussed uh, global downturn or some at least some macro shock to the economy. So for us there are really two stages. It's everything that's happening during the pandemic and trying to talk about touch note and the relevance of touch note in your life right now and then really preparing for a imminent downturn that would come after that. And what does that look like? So if people are going to go into a few months of frugality and perhaps uh, shed off some of the um, indulgences that they allowed themselves before, how do we position our product as something that is not an indulgence? It actually is something that is helping them communicate meaningfully with their loved ones, which you absolutely need in your life. If you think about a, a global downturn, you go down to the basics, right? Or if you, God forbid, laid off, you're furloughed, or you need to um, cut back on costs, um, you're, you start saying to your, make, doing that mental math of, okay, what can I live without? And I think for companies like us, it's about proving our value where some where, uh, the, um, the customer will say to themselves, you know what, I'm not paying as much, this is quite cheap, and I'm getting huge amounts of utility and value out of it,
1: so I'm going to keep it over time. And that's that's the is on us to prove ourselves for that. How do you make money? What is your business model now? And how will you have to change it going forward? And is there an opportunity to generate new revenue streams with what you know now?
2: So I think that's a really interesting question when it comes to TouchNote, because TouchNote has been around for 12 years. And for the first 10 years was a classic e-commerce play. You'd come in, you'd uh, pay per card, and then uh, you'd go off and you'd come back to send other cards if you wanted to. And we did have a little bit of bulk buying with, you know, you could buy card packs and so on. But the lion's share of our consumer base was your classic e-commerce. And about two years ago, we started a pivot where we added another layer of business on top, which was the subscription model. And we currently have a membership service. And that through that membership service, we are um, creating a true win-win for the customer and for us. And... Essentially, what we do is we say, you know what, if you want to send two cards a month, if you have that granny who is in Liverpool in isolation right now and you want to make sure you send a card a week or a card a fortnight, we will give you a plan to be able to do that. And those cards that you send in your membership plan will be the cheapest cards in the world. And in um, return for that, we obviously get the loyalty that comes with the membership service. So the, the win-win that we have found, which was, by the way, derived from looking at actual user analytics and user behavior of our platform is that if we create packs of cards that people can send on a recurring basis, we can actually create a, true, a truly unique service that customers will come in on a regular basis. In in and over this time frame of the pandemic and thereafter, this model has proven itself tremendously right now because people want to send constant cards. Think of yourself at home. You have know, five, five to 10 family members all around the world that are experiencing the same thing. And you want to send them more than, than you know a message on social media or a on, on messaging service. You can do that with us. And you when you try it once or twice, what we find is then, then you want to do it not necessarily on a daily basis, but three to four times a week. And the membership service allows you to do that at um, unparalleled costs. So today, uh, the average customer would pay anywhere between three to five pounds, so
1: less than two cups of coffee, and would be able to send cards on a recurring basis. So I want to talk a bit more about how you've um, survived through, through the pandemic. I'm sure you had a level of contingency plans in place. I'm sure they had to be dusted off and and, and improved. So most of your, all of your staff are working from home. How do you communicate? How do you motivate your staff? Is it, do you have daily calls, weekly calls? Are you all constantly on chat? How are you running your business in isolation?
2: I have to say that on a personal level, I think um, I was quite worried about moving from 100% on-site to 100% off-site. Uh, within one day that felt like a very big transition however we decided to do it and I was proven wrong Uh, the team has come together in a way that I I never never expected Uh, the efficiency level and productivity has remained high if not higher than it was previously and I think there are several reasons for that first of all I think that in a time like in a time of crisis like this uh, everyone comes together and tries to help out U- ultimately as I said we are 50 people in this company and everyone feels a, a sense an, an innate sense of ownership and responsibility and when you know a, a pandemic like this uh, hits um I think everyone feels that they're happy that to be to be working in a company like this and they are happy to have a job and they they want to make sure the company survives it so people have stepped up in, a, in huge ways people are working all hours and if anything, on a weekly basis now, I need to remind people to take their lunch breaks, to you know, uh, disconnect from their laptops. I am trying to force people not to eat in front of the computer. Uh, I think the fact that people are working from home right now and for so long creates uh, a, a lack of boundaries between their work life and their private life. And I think it's really important and it's our responsibility as leaders in these companies to make sure that they do have that time off. It's so tempting to work 24-7. And God knows I do this on a regular basis. I can find myself working all hours. But it's extremely important, especially when you have kids at home and so on, to be able to let go of that and to say, no, actually, I'm going to have you know, lunch with the kids and then come back to it when you need to. As far as um, the working process, we have a clock in, clock out, which is working extremely well for us. So on Mondays, I have a kickoff with all of my leadership team. And then on, the, uh, on weekdays, they start off the day with a, essentially it's, it's a huddle and in the morning where they talk about what they're going to do this today. And in the evening, uh, they, they clock out with another huddle, 10, 15 minutes where everyone says what they've done. They've also, they talk about any bottlenecks that they have or work that they're, wait, they're pending uh, waiting for from other people. So there's no, we have an ability to um, quickly try to help out if there are any bottlenecks one additional thing that we implemented uh, and the hick our coo um, introduced this a week ago which was incredibly effective uh is what we call the red cord poly- uh, process where you know just like uh, those famous you know, um, car manufacturing plants there was the red cord that stopped the manufacturing line um, if somebody pulls up the red cord we all jump on a zoom call or a um Google Hangout together, all the relevant people, and we discuss an issue. So if suddenly we see a bottleneck in a certain process or a deadline is missed or something like that, we all have the ability to come on and say, okay, what do we need to do? That huddling has become extremely effective because everyone essentially is on their screens and can press a button and join a virtual um, a
1: virtual discussion. So it sounds like you're working in a very agile way and a lot of listeners will be doing it already. So how has Agile had to adapt with people being deliberately remote for, for, for all of the teams?
2: So we uh, implemented Agile about a year and a half, to two years ago uh, in earnest in our development cycle. And so when the pandemic hit, to be honest, we almost did not change anything in our process. Uh, that was, you know, in, in bi-weekly cycles like this, it, it lends itself to adaptability in, in, in situations like this. What we did have to change and I think this is probably where Scrum kind of wasn't necessarily built or Agile wasn't necessarily built for uh, remote working like this, is that when you have retros or when you want to discuss you know, um, post-campaign analysis and you want to sit down in a room together and brainstorm and have a, 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 a vibrant discussion. Once you have more than 10 or 12 people in a virtual chat like this trying to, Know, to figure things out together. What exactly happened in that campaign? Why did this feature not improve conversion the way we thought it would? How did our process work? I think um, when, when you have too many people on that call, that's when communication slightly breaks and you start seeing people you know, putting, the, putting themselves on mute for 15 minutes and not contributing to the discussion. So I think if there's one learning I've had over the last few weeks, it is smaller teams, smaller groups, smaller discussions, rather than having those all-handed discussions that maybe you would have on a in, within an office?
1: One hypothesis I've looked at, and I've talked to many number of people about this, is um, the future of work. And as a futurist, I get up months ago and say, you know, the future of work, it's about people, place and purpose, and the place we work won't always be our desk. I think, and I've said this on the last podcast, we are in the world's largest work from home experiment, whether we like it or not. And you mentioned it in your intro, and you said that you know people were quite happy not having to come into work and not having to do the commute. What do you think will change? Do you think we will have people wanting to race back to the office? Do you think you'll have more people saying, Dan, I'd like to work, actually not from home because I don't like working on the kitchen table but I'd like to work away from work other than these uh, post-analysis reviews where you need to be in the same place to be more effective. Do you think we'll see the nature and the place where we work change? And would you be more sympathetic as a manager having to be home and homeschooling and knowing what it's like to work from home to allow people to work more flexibly? Where do you think that'll change for your business? And where do you think that'll change more generally for companies around the world?
2: So we are having this discussion on a daily basis, to be honest, because – as you rightfully said, this is a massive experiment for us and we, we can see everyone around us doing the same. And I think it's quite an exciting time um, for work and for um, you know, work, work-related academics to see what exactly is happening uh, in these companies. In our, for us specifically, I can tell you that uh, we had a work from home policy prior to the, condam- the pandemic. Um, People could work from home every, I think we had one day a week, uh, every other week. And people would use it and would utilize it, that was fine. Um, Now, would we change that? I I imagine that we would change the policy because we've seen how uh, people can work from home very effectively. But that's a different question to whether we would, how we would view someone working from home permanently or maybe coming into the office only once a week. That's a remote working dynamic. And that, I think, is where our perception has changed fundamentally. I, I think I was, le- if I'm honest, I was slightly less open to having remote working as a policy. Um, and now I can see the benefits of it. And I can also see how productivity doesn't have to be um, uh, reduced when someone is working from home. Um, and I think from what I can see by the way we have surveyed our cust- our employees sorry about this I think you have um, people generally fall into three buckets well, from what I'm seeing right now they either fall in the bucket where they just prefer to set, have a, a very clear separation between their working life and their uh, home and, and their home and those are people that prefer to come into work they prefer to Um, come into an office and when they they leave the office they are leaving work behind them then you have people who are um, absolutely fine with the amalgamation of work and life and they can you know they want to go out for a run at 11 o'clock in the morning but then afterwards you know if there's something that they want to do at 11 o'clock at night for work they wouldn't think twice of it and those are people I think that really shine right now I have three or four employees that that tell me they've never been happier. And that the, the fact that they can take the dog out for a walk in the afternoon and then log back in, oh, yeah, and I want to finish a bit of work on Sunday, that's the kind of life they want to lead. And this has allowed them to do that rather than to constrain them into what was perhaps the norm only a month or two ago. And then you have the middle tier, which is people who – Sometimes they want to be at home and they want they want the amalgamation, and sometimes they want a clear separation. And I think that is the most undefined and quite interesting one out of the, the three because I think that we have we people go through different life stages, and sometimes you know you want to work hard and play hard, and then sometimes you actually want a calmer lifestyle because you have kids or you want to be slightly more structured. And the question really will be to what extent we can offer a spectrum of work or a. Um, perhaps a menu of alternatives for people to be able to work throughout their lives and be happy and be fulfilled, but also be able to live the kind of life they want to live. So I think I think we're only at the beginning of this, to be honest. And I think that in a year's time or two years time, we will find that it's not that people either work from home or work from the office, or you know, they ha- you have a very rigid policy of two days in the office, three days at home. I think we're going to move into a world where people are going to look at a menu and say, you know what, I prefer this right now, but maybe next month I'll do something else, depending on the amount of work, depending on, on where they are in their life, depending on whether they want to go travel in Costa Rica for a month, right? That, that's, I think, the where, where this is going and, what, uh, and I think that's what I have learned
1: out of this pandemic. These are really powerful insights. I'm so glad you shared them so comprehensively. I think also what we'll find is that The fact that we've had that discussion, we weren't going to have it unless we had a pandemic and we forced everyone to go from home because it would have taken maybe years for people to do that generationally, you know, millennials and Gen Z are saying we want a different work-life balance. But going back to your own experience, so you're a manager, you're a CEO, you manage 50 people. You said, interestingly, and I've heard this a lot, that you weren't that comfortable about a blanket work-from-home policy. But when you're forced to work at home and when you're forced to homeschool and when you're forced to experience exactly what every other employee is doing, how has that changed your thinking and how do you get work done when you can't go to the office? When you have my job, <laughs> the, 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 the notion of work
2: and the notion of life uh, cannot be separated. Uh, when we get an email from Apple about something to do with our iOS app on you know, Saturday morning, then you have to jump on it. And when something, when we have downtime at two o'clock in the morning on a Tuesday, uh, you have to jump on it. So I think this kind of job um, anyway doesn't really lends itself to a very clear separation between work and life. But what this has really forced me to do, and I think I'm not great at this, and I, and I suspect that most CEOs aren't great at putting boundaries to work, is that I really had to say, you know what, I need to shut, turn the computer off during this amount of time. I need to not look at my phone during lunchtime because otherwise I will continuously work throughout the day and throughout the week at the expense of my, you know, my relationship with my partner, the expense of my relationship with my son and so on. I think that when work comes home with you, That's one thing because you have eight hours or 10 hours of work in in the office. You come back home and you take a little bit of it with you. But when work and home are in the same place, um, that is where you actually have to force the boundaries almost down your own throat, if that makes sense. And I cannot tell you that I'm getting an A star at that exam right now, right? My my son's math is probably better than uh, my ability to put the boundaries on work right now. But I think that
1: is something that we will all have to learn to go, uh, as we go through this very, very strange period. Do you think you've become a more sympathetic manager because you're literally experiencing what everyone else is experiencing?
2: So, I mean, I uh, became CEO of the company um, in May of last year. And before that, I was a, a chief product officer and managing director and so on. So I feel like I've, I've come through the company and... Um, I I hired most of the people in this company right now and I know them very well. I have a very intimate and um, personal relationship with everyone, right? As you do in these kind of companies. Um, And to this day, of course, everybody that is hired, I interview them as well and I welcome them in and so on. So I feel like the level of empathy in smaller companies is innately larger. Uh, When you have a 600, 1,000 man organization, I can only imagine that there's there's quite a bit of a divide between you. Um, I, I would argue that I probably speak to over 70% of my staff on a weekly basis. So the le- I think, I, I dare to say that the level of empathy and the level of identification with what they're going through is not only um, a result of me experiencing the same thing, but also the fact that we are a very close bunch and uh, and we talk a lot to each other. Um, I, you know, I, I do have to say that in terms of the future of work and would I be more sympathetic, quote-unquote, to working from home or those kind of um, like a, a, a migration for, to just not working in the office, I think it's going to very much depend on how we all come out of this. Uh, if, we go, if we go into a global downturn, I think that's going to change uh, a lot of the priorities for people. You know, rent is... It's quite expensive in London. And if you don't have to um, rent an office for 50 people, that's going to really help you. Uh, So there are practical issues here as
1: well. I I think it can go either way to be honest, Andrew. Last topic before we close. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. How would you have prepared in a different way if you'd known the exact impact of what's going to happen in January this year?
2: You started off uh, our conversation saying that you're sure we had contingency plans. And I wanted to say, I absolutely do not have a contingency plan for what's happening this month, right? Uh, We did have contingency plans for downturns and we we talked a lot about what happens if we see reductions in demand, but nothing even close to what we're seeing in terms of the volatility of the market, the change in behavior and everything we're seeing as a result of COVID-19. So if I knew what I know uh, now, back in January, I mean, I would have planned my year entirely differently. I mean, I, it's clear that for us, the peak of this entire year is going to be right now, and we need to be um, we need to be placed both in terms of our um, systems, our uh, C, um, customer resource management, our CRM, in terms of. Um, our apps and stability in terms of scalability in a completely different place. This this pandemic caught us, just like it did everyone else, slightly off guard. Now it is true that we are doing very well right now and there are others that are very much hurting because you, know, you think of the restaurant industry, you think of a, a company like uh, Open Table, right? Uh, that does bookings for restaurants. And there are no restaurants open. I could only imagine what their CEO is going through and what that company. I'm sure they're a great company. I'm sure they'll do well. But for us, this period caught us off guard in the sense that we would have put a lot more fuel and a lot more firepower uh, during this time if we would have known this going forward. I think this question uh, is one that I would probably ponder in a month's time when we come out, hopefully come out of lockdown and when we go back to work and then when we hopefully will not, but m- might probably see some kind of downturn or recession. How, th- this is exactly the kind of um, pre-mortem we're trying to run right now in the company to say, okay, you know what, what can we do now to prepare ourselves for the worst coming? And uh, I, I don't think we, we would have done anything in January to prepare for COVID more than just say, okay, you know what, let's make sure that all of our systems are in place. I think that now we're doing a ton to make sure we're ready for a downturn, if, if and when it will come, in one to four months' time.
1: I want to run you through a quick fire round. Five questions, one word or one sentence answers. Zoom or Skype? Zoom. Which month will we be back in the office? Um, June. Strangest thing you've bought online in the last few weeks? Uh, mineral
2: water. I didn't think I was going to do that. I bought 60 bottles of mineral water, which is why it was so strange. What's the last touch note you sent? I sent a touch on this morning, of course, and I sent one over my son. I, I had taught him over the long back, bank holiday weekend to ride his bicycle. So that's, that's a, a box ticked for me. And I got a picture of him riding his bike for the first time. And I sent that to everybody I know, as you can imagine.
1: What's the first thing
2: you'll do when we can all meet again? I will give a huge hug to my parents who are 70 plus years old. And uh, they, uh, I you can't do that right now.
1: Yeah, I. someone asked me the same thing. What's the first thing you do? I said, hug someone I love. It's, uh, I think that human contact we really miss. So this is the Practical Futures podcast. So I want to ask you for three things that our listeners can be doing this week to set themselves up for success post-pandemic. Number one would be to hoard cash. I think it's extremely important to, uh, right now to
2: make sure you have the cash flow to, run, uh, to um, increase or expand your runway as much as possible. Number two make sure uh, the most practical thing is to make sure that your key employees, the people you absolutely depend on, feel comfortable and secure. I think there's a huge amount of insecurity right now in the market. And number three, I think we talked about a lot, is work hard on mental and physical health during this time as well. We've already seen some backlash on this issue. I think one of the most practical things you could be doing right now is making sure that your employees are taking care of themselves.
1: Great tips. Dan, how can people find out more about you and TouchNote? People can either go into the app store,
2: play store, and just search for touchnote as well as go to touchnote.com. I am available on all social media as Dan Ziv, D-N-Z-I-V, And I'd love to hear from customers as well as from your audience
1: as well about what we can do to improve their lives and their communication. So, thank you so much. Thanks, Dan. I learned so much on this chat, and you've also verified some of the thoughts I was having about how businesses will survive. So, thanks for that. Please stay home and stay safe. Thank you so much, and it's been a pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Practical Futurist podcast. You can find all of our previous shows at futurist.london. And if you like what you've heard on the show, please consider subscribing via your favourite podcast app so you never miss an episode. You can find out more about Andrew and how he helps corporates navigate a disruptive digital world with keynote speeches and C-suite workshops at futurist.london. Until next time, this has been the Practical Futurist Podcast.